Okay, so we're going to be starting a new sermon series, and it's going to be on what is the church. And so today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And moving on down to verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer as we seek God's help to understand this passage. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word to us, and we pray that you would indeed, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to hear this word, to imagine this word, envision it, believe it, and live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so yes, as I've said, we're going to be thinking about what is the church and we're going to be doing that together so that we're on the same page and we come to a, a similar understanding so that we can have a shared experience. And today, um, I want to raise a question um, or raise as a question an opinion that many people have about the church. Okay? Many people think that you can be a Christian and not go to church and not belong to a church. And so the question is, can you? What would you say to someone who shares that opinion? Now, there is no simple and pat answer because, as you'll see, there is a lot to think about when it comes to church. Can you be a Christian and not belong to a church or not go to church? Answering that really depends on what you think of the church and its significance. And this is especially important to address post-COVID because life... Everyone, the world, went through an upheaval, and the church was part of the wash. Church attendance was already on the decline in America, and COVID was like pouring gasoline on a fire, right? Thankfully, that's not us, but nationally, the numbers are not looking good. What you think of the church and its significance might depend on your experience and your expectations of church. If you think church is just a building, then there's nothing compelling to have one walk into the church. If you think the church is just a social institution, 
then its significance is probably in what it can offer you. Just like the government is one of those big social institutions. That's what we expect of the government, to take care of us, right? And for us, with church, maybe we've had a lot of expectations of church but have been disappointed. Some think that the church is where two or three Christians are gathered together. Maybe you've heard that line. It's a pretty low bar. It's not demanding that much. And so there are little expectations on you, which kind of makes it like an optional kind of thing, right? Expectations and experiences can really throw people off in terms of the significance of the church. And so we really want to come to understand what is the church. On one hand, the church simply is the gathering of believers. Maybe you know the word, the Greek word for church, ecclesia, right, where you get ecclesiastical. It's just a compound word of two words, out and called. The church are the people who are called out from this world by God, right? The gathering of believers. But on the other hand, there are parameters that are placed on this definition of church because this simple definition can be left broadly unspecified so that people can start to fill in what they think church is. We have doctrines to help um, understand a little bit better and uh, set parameters of what is the church. Maybe you've heard of the doctrine of the universal church. Believers across time and space. All of God's chosen children. A phrase that conveys the idea of the universal church is the saints on heaven and earth. Right? Now that's kind of a conceptual view of God's people. And so to ground it more, in contrast to the universal church, you have the local church which is the real-life gathering of believers in a geographically defined space, universal and local. You want to make sure you're a part of both. Another parameter is the visible and the invisible church. The visible church, those are the warm bodies that are gathered together, typically on a Sunday for worship. It sounds like the local church, so what's the difference? Well, the visible church is contrasted with the invisible church. Visible church, invisible church, what's the difference there? The invisible church are the elect people of God, genuine believers. Now, this is where you want to pay attention because um, the visible church is a mix of people, genuine believers, but also those who may not be genuine. Cultural Christians, nominal Christians, Christians who don't last because they only believe for a little while, or people at, ver at various stages of faith exploration. But they're part of this assembled group, the visible church. Jesus spoke of this reality when he taught about the parable of the wheat and the tares, the weeds and the wheat. It was a metaphor of the end time when there will be a mixed group of people who have done church together. But not all will be proven genuine, visible and invisible. You want to make sure you're part of both, but especially the invisible church. All that are parameters to help us understand a little bit more of what church is, but a very common description of the church that the Bible uses, which we'll talk about today, is the body of Christ. That conveys a lot of what the church ought to be. And we're going to learn about it, and hopefully that will help us answer the question, can you be a Christian and not belong to a church? 
Okay, Paul mentions the body of Christ in his letter to the Ephesian church, and he says some remarkable things about the church being the body. So that's where we'll start to think more about what it means to be church as the body of Christ. And we'll be thinking as concretely as possible. We're not thinking just universal church, and we're not thinking just invisible church, but us here together, just like Paul would talk about the Ephesians. And so the first point, and the real main point is this, that the body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 22, Ephesians 1.22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is some exalted language. But it's also kind of confusing. And part of the problem is it has to do with all the different um, impersonal pronouns. And you're trying to figure out who is the he or the his in, this, in these verses. And so in your sermon outline, I've actually tried to fill in some of those impersonal pronouns. Listen to verse 22 again. And he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his, Jesus' body, the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills all things in the universe in all ways. Okay? Verse 23 says that the church is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what we're going to be... Um, camped on for a little bit and try to work that out. But you can see how it's hard to make sense of it. There is some ambiguity as to who the antecedents, the reference of these impersonal pronouns are. But the overall point is not ambiguous. The alls and the fills really pops out and it starts to emphasize the significance of Jesus and his body. A very clear point is that the church is the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, you get all of Jesus, the fullness of him. Okay? You don't get a half-hearted Jesus. You don't get a less-than-fully-formed Jesus. You don't get Jesus that is a man but not God. You don't get Jesus who is a God but not man. You don't get a 50% God, a 50% Jesus man. You get 100% God, 100% man, Jesus, the fullness of him. And what else is unambiguous is that Jesus and his body is and will be shown to be the only game in town that matters. At the end of time, we are going to have Jesus and the church. That's what's going to last and stand. Nothing else will matter. And so... Even today, nothing else really matters. Life is all about Jesus, and therefore the body will make life all about Jesus. There we go. That's just to start to unravel, unpack this big verse for us. And we're going to explore it more as we think about this idea of the body. The body seems to be a metaphor of the relationship between Jesus and the church, the body and the head. Right? And so, how is the church like the body? Let me point out three things. The language of head and body means we're talking about a living relationship. That's the first thing. I know I'm alive. You know you're alive. We know that Jesus is alive, right? 
Verse 20, we're reminded that Jesus was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven to be at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, if you're a believer, then it shouldn't be too difficult to work out that, yes, we have a living personal relationship. Jesus and me, two people, right? But the, the metaphor of head and body is one, one being. And not just that, Jesus is alive and he's in heaven above and we're here down on earth. There's quite the separation. Maybe that's why we have to use metaphor to describe this relationship. Well, first we know that it's a living relationship. Second, it's an organized relationship. In order for life to be sustained, the head and body, they have to exist in a structured and coordinated way, right? There's mutual compatibility for the various biological systems in a body to support life. And likewise, the church body, it requires all different kinds of people to be together. We need the head, and we all need to be connected to the head, but we all need each other as well. That makes a lot more sense, right? Like a single being has many organs and systems, and they have to work in concert in order to live. But it's also helpful to show us what the church is not. People do not come together and come under one roof here as the local church just so that each one of us as individuals can have time with God. We can do our business with God, just God and me. Just imagine a long counter and a whole bunch of people standing up in front of the counter, bank customers doing transactions with Jesus the teller. That is not what the church is. No, there's an interdependency upon one another as we all come to worship God, where all the parts need each other in order to be alive in God's presence through Jesus the head. We're going to be exploring that thought some more. But living, organized, and lastly, the relationship between head and body is functional. The body takes its direction from the head, the brain, and the central nervous system, right? The body does what the head wants, even though everyone is distinct with different roles, we all have the same goal. We're following what the head wants us to do as if we were on mission. God brings together all different kinds of people, unifying them as the body in Christ, of Christ, and our different giftings and our efforts synergize for Jesus' purposes. Christ and church being head and body, it's quite an effective way to describe that relationship, isn't it? But is there more? Because the language that Paul uses, fullness and all, it pushes the idea that all of existence has to do with this head and body. It can seem like Christ and church as head and body is more like a concept or an idea as in, you know, we understand the biology and the, the parallel there, but that's not Christ in the church, really, right? Or is it? See, what the relationship of head to body is, is a real spiritual reality. Head and body, real spiritual reality. That's how we have to be thinking. The spiritual realm. On one hand, as believers, I think we can all attest 
to, yes, the Holy Spirit, and yeah, we recognize the spiritual realm. But on the other hand, as Westerners, many who have been educated in secular environments, we are discouraged from believing in the spiritual realm. What we cannot see or examine or test or control. I just mentioned that to make sure that we're all aware <laughs> that I'm talking about the unseen but undeniably powerful spiritual realities. And what that means is that when we talk about um, one head and one body, we really are talking about one spiritual entity whose realness is just as legitimate as the physical. Let's try to think about that a little bit more beyond metaphor, head and body. What does that really look like? Jesus is physically in heaven above. We are down here on earth below. Head in heaven, body on earth, distinct. But we're spiritually united. And actually, we're more connected spiritually than we think we are separated by distance. In fact, spiritually, there is no separation at all between Christ and his church like head and body. And the Holy Spirit of Christ indwelling in believers makes sure of that. I mean, how can this language in um, 122 of fullness be used if there is this separation or if there's this division? It can't. I mean, do you get full when you see a lot of food on the table? No, that food's got to get, get into you in order to know that you are full. And so Christ, by his spirit, is a part of us. And together, we are the fullness of Christ. It's not where two or three are gathered together, that's where the church is. As if um, the church is, the definition of church is a minimum requirement of two people. <laughs> where you have to reach a quorum in order to make it the church. No, that's not what the church is. It's a lot more than that. It's where the church, it's not where two or three are gathered, but where the church is gathered, there Christ is. Now, I think that's a little bit easier to comprehend at the individual level. You know, we all know that by faith, I, I am spiritually united to Christ. We call that union with Christ. And what does Paul say in Romans? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We don't just believe that. We cherish that truth. Nothing can separate us. Now we're expanding that cherished truth to include the whole church, head and body. Not just head and my body, but head and whole body. To help us just clarify that in our minds a little bit more. The phrase of this connection is this, that we use is distinct but not separate. Distinct but not separate. As in, we clearly are different entities, but we're not dissolved into each other, and yet at the same time, we are united very tightly. That's the body. Now we're connected to the head. Just one last heady thought. We've looked at, we've considered the vertical relationship between head and body, but what about within the body, the horizontal? 
We can say that we're the universal church, believers across time and space. But we can't say we're just the universal church and just leave it at that. No, there's more definition to to that. We are the local church, and we are spiritually united to one another as the body because Jesus is present here in his fullness. We, too, are not dissolved into one another, um, but there are parameters that define the boundaries of our relationships. We don't like to push this kind of language because the church has abused it over time and history, but we do need to be reminded of this obvious biblical truth that we're probably a lot closer in spirit than we are different in our diversity and flesh and blood. Paul would use communion bread as a teaching aid to describe what the body of Christ is like. In another place, 1 Corinthians 10.16, this is what he says, 1 Corinthians 10.16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Right? Let me try to bring this all together. If you're a real believer, you're not on the fence about Jesus, you've given yourself to him, he's given himself to you, then you get all of Jesus, his fullness. But that means that fullness includes his body, the church. It's a package deal. You get Jesus, you get each other. We are distinctly apart from Christ who is in heaven and we are here on earth. But when we get together as the body, we are getting to experience in the closest possible way the fullness of Christ. I think we need to be reminded of that. That when we get together, we are experiencing the closest possible way the fullness of of Christ. It's just like Paul wrote to this specific church at Ephesus. He's saying to them, you Ephesian Christians are the fullness of Christ because you are the body. And maybe another way to think about it to make the point is like this. When you have your quiet time at home alone with God, you're getting the fullness of Jesus. Nothing less than all of Jesus as if he can't show up to you like that. But when we are coming together corporately to worship as a church, we're getting more of Jesus. See, there's something about others that when they're included, whether you like them or not, this is what Jesus wants. As if he wants our hearts to grow like his. Something about others, when we're all included, this is what Jesus wants. Get all of Jesus means you get all of the church, all or nothing. You cannot say you're part of the universal church, but not the local church. You cannot say you're part of the invisible church, but not the visible church. Those who don't think that they have to go to church, you know, they say, I have Jesus, 
I don't need the church. You know who else said that? Gandhi said something like that. I like Christ. I don't like his Christ followers. But if you believe in Jesus, that he's with you and you and him, then you're really a part of him and you belong to his body. There is no head without the body. And I think many people, they say they follow Jesus, but really they're following Gandhi. So we need to be clear. What's it going to be for you? You can follow Jesus of the Bible in all of his fullness, or is it Gandhi? Right? I mean, call me a dreamer, or call me a student of the Bible. But the, I love the church being the body of Christ. It's glorious. And it's what we're fighting for. It's what we're living for. We have to fight for it. It's really hard to attain. There are a lot of obstacles and challenges that would constantly try to tear us apart, separate us, have us go against each other, or just not care to engage more. So with that, how can we be more body-like, bonded, knitted together, experience healthy um, spiritual body life? And what, were the what would be the factors that would make us more connected and less connected? And that brings us to our second point. It's not as long. The body is the power of Christ. The body is the power of Christ. Not only is the body the fullness of Christ, but the body is the power of Christ. And I only include this just to remind us that the church is a result of God's power in the past, but also his ongoing present power in our lives. This local body. I'm going to be dealing more with um, how it's the power through Jesus' resurrection. But for today, what, what can we say about um, the, the body being the power of Christ? Several things about power. First, we need to recognize that there is power already at work in us. Look at verse 19, Ephesians 1.19. This is Paul's prayer, but what he prays is this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power at work towards us who believe? According to his working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see how in verse 20, Paul focuses on Jesus' resurrection and ascension as the source of power for Jesus' body? We'll be dealing with that again, like I said, next week. But we just need to start to see that resurrection and ascension, those are the ways that we access God's power. And I'll speak more about that in a moment, but we need to recognize the power of Christ to bring us together and make us what we are and to keep us together. You know, at the heart of our salvation is uh, the person of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. That's the gospel. We often hear only part of the gospel. Rightly so, the Bible focuses on the death at the cross. But the full gospel is Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And the full picture of us experiencing the, the gospel is this. Jesus confronted our radical individuality and self-centeredness and the spiritual powers behind it, the devil. That's our full picture of salvation. 
And we didn't read this, but Paul would continue in this line of thought in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 2, verse 1. This is what he writes. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is what we all once were, but are no longer. And in that passage, that's the classic passage, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, where you identify the powers and the forces that would be at work against God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. But Jesus overcame all of that. And it's Jesus' resurrection that demonstrated that the devil no longer has any power over his people. The devil does not lead us any longer to disobedience, and to death. No, we've been restored to God through Christ, and he leads us to obedience and eternal life. And he does that as we're gathered together as the body of Christ. We're people who serve Jesus, not the devil, and so we need to celebrate that and encourage one another in that. We follow Jesus, and he's still at work in us. Sure, we all say we kind of know that, but we need to be able to encourage one another in Jesus' resurrection and ascension as the power that has us following him and not the devil. We need to start putting on our spiritual glasses so we can see the spiritual realities of the resurrection and ascension and our new identity as the body of Christ. That makes you feel uncomfortable because we're talking about spiritual well, weird things, you got to start getting comfortable with your faith. Because <laughs> at the heart of it is real spirituality. See, the world would tell us and try to make us less spiritual and more individualistic. But being here, the body of Christ, together, that's making us more spiritual and less individualistic. We have to witness this power what Christ has done to us, what he is constantly doing in us through our corporate worship, the words and the people, the songs and the liturgy, all constantly pointing us and reminding us that Jesus is the risen and ascended king. He helps me face my defeating beliefs and all of my fears. So recognize that God's power is at work in Jesus' death and resurrection. Recognize his power is at work even now amongst us as the body of Christ. And third, how then do we apply Jesus' death and resurrection to help us continue existing as a church? Resurrection and ascension deals with the lies that we would believe to keep us apart. To keep us apart from each other as the church deals with the lies. There are plenty of them. It deals with the fears that would keep us from being, um, that would cause us to be afraid of giving ourselves and growing together as a church. Lies. How I'd rather spend my time. Lies about how everyone's just a little too different for me. Lies about how everyone's a taker and not a giver and I'm just done being a giver. 
lies that distract and preoccupy our minds so that we don't even think about these kind of things. All these temptations that I've just named, the lies that we actually give into. Maybe we could see it another way. The positive way of the things that we're actually striving for, not avoiding. And that is Jesus is the ascended king whose power enables us to pursue faithful presence and sacrificial love, all for the sake of the body. Jesus' ascension empowers us to be fearless, not fearful in our church friendships. I mean, I hope that's the kind of church you want to be a part of, right? That you want to be a participant in, not on the sidelines for it. And so here's an active, um, practical application for us. See, we have one opportunity, I mean, not one, but we have an opportunity coming up, and that's our church lunch. We are a church that loves to have church lunches, but we can try to take it to the next level, right? Where we really engage one another in a meaningful way, where we would desire it. So it's going to require courage and conversation and time. Those are the simple ingredients. Courage, conversation, and time. Courage to actually extend ourselves to another person so that we can converse and get to know each other. And that's going to take time. And that we're going to allow for all that to happen at our upcoming church lunch. Courage, conversation, and time. Witness the power. And would we experience the power together as the body of the risen and ascended king? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word to us, a word that in many respects sounds so familiar because you have worked so mightily in many of us. We know that the church is the body of Christ. And I pray that all of us, we would start to discover how Jesus' resurrection and ascension would help us to be the fullness of the body of Christ more and more. Grow us with knowledge. Grow us with the Holy Spirit and conviction. Grow us to help change us. Help us to see and start to pursue after courage, conversation, and time to be with the body. And may we see how good, how the immeasurable riches of your glorious inheritance are for us, even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.